Repentance, Holiness, and Purity. I must admit, when uh, John gave me this title, I thought, ooh, that's, uh, that's perhaps a difficult one to preach on. But uh, as I've prepared it, it actually uh, revealed quite a lot to me. So hopefully it will uh, reveal quite a lot to you as well. And I want to start off by uh, quoting three scripture verses to you. First one is Hebrews 12 and verse 14. Hebrews 12 and verse 14. Uh, the notes are on the uh, web page, by the way, so you don't have to scribble all this down. You can just look on the web page and it's all there for you. Hebrews 12:14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see God. And then 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 16. That says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you once lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. And that comes from Leviticus 11, 44 and 45, and Leviticus 19, verse 2. And Titus 2, 11 to 15 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Three quite challenging scriptures. And in these days of exciting worship teams, great name speakers, mega church ministries, creative programs like Messy Church, large crusades, none of which in their own right are nothing wrong with any of them, they're great. But in the midst of all that, there is one thing that gets little attention and little emphasis in most churches, and in fact gets buried in all the stuff of church. And that thing is holiness. Having listened to the three scriptures this morning, it's perhaps a little understandable why preachers may be reluctant to teach on what can appear to be a pretty daunting subject. Most people's concept of holiness is that it is some state of spiritual depth that makes them more spiritual than others, or that it is some negative, constrictive lifestyle that is boring and uninteresting. 
A story is told of a missionary in India who needed help to transfer a critically ill man from his house to a nearby hospital. She asked for help from two holy men who were sitting up far away, intoning their devotions to God. She said she would never forget the look of resentment that blazed in their eyes as one of them responded, We are holy men. We are devoted to God. We never do anything for anyone. Holiness is not just what we don't do. It's very much what we positively do do. Holiness in the biblical sense is always connected with actual lifestyles. It's not just with some state of mind. It is powerful, it is practical, and it is positive. It's powerful, practical, and positive. The basic concept of holiness is one of separation. Separation from sin and separation to God. In the readings we had from Hebrews 12, we are told that without holiness, no man shall see God. Holiness, therefore, is an absolute necessity as a discipline for the believer in Jesus Christ. Let's have a look at this concept of holiness being active, not passive, as we study the passage from 1 Peter a little more closely. In verses 13 and 14, we are told to prepare our minds for action. The King James Version says, gird up the loins of your mind. A concept the Jews of the time would have understood as they wore long flowing robes. And if they wanted to be ready to act quickly or to run, they would gather the robe up and tie it around the loin area. Today we might say, roll up your sleeves to indicate the same state of readiness. The purpose of this preparation is to be ready for action. Holiness is not some ecstatic spiritual state. It's a call to action. Peter then follows up with, be self-controlled. Quite a quote from a disciple who in his younger days as a Christian was renowned for putting his feet in first and thinking afterwards. He has obviously learned something from his experiences. If we have truly repented, if we have truly repented and turned to Christ, then not only should we aspire to be self-controlled, but demonstrate it daily in our lifestyles, in all areas of our lives. Peter then goes on to say that we should set our hope fully on the grace to be given to us. Referring here to our expectation of Christ's return and the fact that we should be living our lives as if we expect him to return 
at any moment and to live in that expectation. How would Jesus see your life so far if he returned today? Are you living in that expectation that Jesus, as he's promised, will return? It could be today. It could be next week. It could be whenever God ordains it. But are we living in that expectation? Are we living our lives as if we might expect to meet Jesus today? And if we did, what would he see? We need to be living in that expectation. Purity of living without excesses of self-indulgence or reckless living and even religious excesses is what Peter is after here. If we recognize who God truly is in our lives, the wonder and awesomeness of him and his grace to us, then we will want to live in a way that's pleasing to him anyway to honour him and to serve others. In verses 15 and 16, Peter states simply, if God is holy and we have God in us, we will want to live holy lives. God's in us, we will want to live holy lives. He doesn't mess about trying to justify holiness and why we should live that way but bluntly states that God is holy. Therefore we, if we've truly accepted Christ as our Lord and Saviour and repented of our present lifestyle and sinful lives, if we've done all that, then we can do nothing other than live holy lives. We cannot embrace the God of the Bible and fail to embrace a holy lifestyle if we are truly children of God. Holiness requires us to perform in a manner pleasing to God. And because God is holy, as we've said, that manner will be a holy lifestyle. Quite challenging thought. In the Titus passage that we read, Titus 1, 11 to 13, the Apostle Paul is emphasizing the same things to the young pastor. Titus, as he writes, to encourage him in his ministry. Because Titus is at this stage very young in his ministry. And Paul, as he did with several of his churches, writes to encourage this young man. And what does he say? Holiness is a real change in how we live and what we think. It's not just a religious concept. It's a concrete lifestyle. Holiness is not just a religious concept. It's a concrete lifestyle. 
It cannot be legislated by man's laws and we cannot make others do it. It's something we must do in our own lives as we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour and repent of our old ways and cast off our old lifestyle. And then to live it out as an example to others. We cannot legislate morality and holiness. We can only as Christians live, out, live it out in our own lives as a model to the world around us. If the church and Christians do not live a holy life, then our calls out there in the world to be more holy will only fall on deaf ears because they'll just see us as they see themselves. So why should they listen? Why should they hear what we're trying to say to them? Paul tells Titus here that God's grace should do two things. Firstly, it should help us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And secondly, to help live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Note Paul's use of the present tense here, so it's an ongoing responsibility, not just a one-off occurrence. It's about living our lives, the whole of our lives, with that sense of holiness. If we want the world to see us as different, and if they don't, why should they bother finding out more? But if we do, we need to demonstrate our commitment to living a holy lifestyle. We need to act differently. We need to talk differently. Our values need to be different to what's going on in the world. And our perspective needs to be different as well. Our perspective needs to be on the eternal, not the temporal. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, we need to live it out in our daily lives so that it shows to those around us that we have something different not to boast in it, but to attract them to it. In verses 14 and 15, Paul talks about God's purification of us. God's purpose in saving us is to purify us and to help us to live holy lives. Salvation is meant to make a difference to the way we live. If it doesn't, are we truly saved? Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness. Revival, which we've been talking about for the last few weeks 
is contingent on repentance from sin, a turning from sin and sinful passions to holy living. Not only for non-Christians, but for Christians as well. The very effectiveness of the gospel being preached from this pulpit may hinge on the purity of our lives before the world. They need to see real holiness at work, not just rhetoric. We can stand here week after week and preach words at you. But unless those words have an effect, unless our lives start to reflect what we hear, then why should the world bother? Because as far as they're concerned, if they can't see that in our lives, then we're no different to them. They need to see that we are children of God. We need, they need to see the light of Christ in our lives. They need to see that we're not just playing some religious game. We are living out a lifestyle because we have salvation through Jesus Christ. A surgeon who selects a scalpel in the operating room to heal his patient will just as readily reject a scalpel with a small amount of defilement on it as one that was severely defiled. As an instrument used to bring healing, he looks for purity or he endangers the healing process. How can God heal our land if we, his people, are not clean? How can we be his instruments of healing if we are defiled as his people? Holiness is living a life of purity, of self-control from worldly passions. Paul also points out here that living a holy and pure lifestyle makes us eager to do good. We don't need to work at it, do it reluctantly or grudgingly because of our lifestyle and knowledge of who God is. We will be eager to please him by doing good works. Are you eager to please God? Paul concludes by telling Titus he is to encourage God's people to live holy lives. I hope I've done this this, that this morning. Secondly, to rebuke those who would ignore God's call to live a life of holiness using the authority God has given him in his own calling and to be confident in the truths which he is teaching. hope I don't have to do any rebuking. Holiness is a simple concept. It means being set apart by God 
to reflect his will in this world. Holiness means being set apart by God to reflect his will in this world. Since God is set apart from the evil of this world, we must be also. We cannot expect God to bring revival until as individuals and the church we are reflecting God's will in this world through our lifestyles of true holiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a holy God. And that it says in your word, because you are holy, we also should be holy. Father, it may be that since our salvation we've drifted away from that holiness. And perhaps we reflect more of what's going on in the world than we do of you. If that's true, Lord, then help us to repent of that. Help us to draw near to you once again. Help us to reflect in our lives the holiness of you. Father, it doesn't have to be standing on a soapbox and shouting your scriptures. It doesn't have to be walking up to everyone that we see doing something wrong and rebuking them. Father, help us to hear your voice and to seek your will in our own lives. That we may have a certainty that as we do that, you will help us to reflect you in the proper way, in a way which is pleasing to you in a way which is attractive to those around us who don't yet know you. And as we do that, Lord, we ask that you would touch lives, that through your Holy Spirit you would draw people to yourself, that they would see the people of this church and know that there is something here which is good, something which is different. Something which they will want to know more about. Father, help us, help us to hear you and help us to hear you prepare us for revival. Because, Father, our heart's desire is that revival would come into this place, into this town, into this country, and into this world of yours. Father, we've been, uh, certainly I've been encouraged over the last couple of weeks or so as I've seen athlete after athlete fall to their knees and give thanks to you for the talents you've given them. Father, I just pray and trust that that would have touched lives around the world as they've seen it happen. Father, as Alex has prayed that the media wouldn't be afraid to report what is actually happening rather than making some story up around it. 
Father, we want this town to be yours once more. We want this nation of ours to be yours once more. Father, we want to see you in revival power, pouring out your Holy Spirit over this place. Help us to be ready. Help us to prepare ourselves to be part of that. Because, Father, if you bring it, nothing will ever be the same. Our lives will be changed completely. Help us to be ready for that. Help us to have an expectation that as our lives become more holy, then you will be pleased and you will pour forth your spirit into this place. In Jesus' name. Amen.